0: We are here at the 11FS office in London for episode 117 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you Zuck could be stuck unless he testifies, blockchain and banking, and the nature of money is changing. All this and much, much more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor, and today I'm joined by the one and only Catherine Rutter, Digital Media Manager at R3. How are you doing, Kyle?
1: I'm good. I'm happy to be in a legit studio instead of uh, the studio in Arthur's office in New York, which is essentially a closet.
0: Well, so this legit studio has existed for (laughs) one previous episode. We we went like three years without a studio, so you're you're (laughs) on that trajectory. You know, just three more years.
1: I'm honored. It's uh, aspirational. It's also kind of funny for me to record an episode with other people listening.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, there's there's the producer, Petrick, producer Hannah, Alex sitting there, just like all looking at their phones and generally being disinterested. Why are you guys not
1: paying attention? (laughs) What's going on? They
0: have lives. It's annoying. (laughs) Listen, before we get to the news, um, you might have heard 11FS did a little documentary.
1: I did hear about that, and I promise it's on my list. I will watch it tonight, I promise. Do you know what it's called? It's called 11 Years.
0: That's exactly (laughs) right. Look at that. I put you on the spot. In UK for- I literally
1: was like, what if it's called something else?
0: Uh, you can uh, check it out at 11years.film. In 60 minutes, you'll pick up how the financial crisis caused reform in the UK regulation, uh, why London's been the perfect environment for fintech innovation, and why is it everybody sort of looks at London as the fintech capital of the world, and what's going to happen next with that B-word Brexit sort of how looming on the horizon? Uh, you can check it out on 11years.film, and uh, you know, share it on social if you really want to.
1: I promise that after I watch it, I will share it on social. It'll be my stamp of approval.
0: Well, then we've made it. Yeah. At that yeah. point, let's let's hope that you don't give it the stamp of disapproval.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, mm. like, yeah, it's kind of up in the air right now. But if at Bread and Rudder uh, approves, it's pretty much uh, Hollywood.
0: There you go. Um, (laughs) Already, first story this week comes from the block. And this is Coinbase Kraken and several others developing a system to rate cryptocurrencies on the likelihood that they are securities. This, of course, comes off the back of some news about an EOS settlement uh, that was last week, uh, and also, you know, kind of kick being kicked around um, in in previous weeks. So uh, we're in that post-ICO sort of place at the moment. So this is Coinbase, Kraken, Poloniex, and Bittrex forming the Crypto Ratings Council, which um, doesn't sound quite as cool as the Justice League, but we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. um, and they will uh, have an online rating for cryptocurrencies on a scale of one to five, five being in security. Um, Anchorage, DRW Holdings, Genesis, Global Trading, and Grayscale are also part of the council. XRP has a score of four. Interesting. Well, EOS, Stellar, and Tizos scored 3.75, which to have a five-point rating and then already be using decimal places. Right. mm, Right. Uh, Litecoin and Bitcoin scored one. Um, And I think those last points are pretty uncontroversial. We've had people saying Bitcoin are commodities for quite some time.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think it is, one, interesting that they used a five-point scale. Who decided on this? If you're already doing the 3.75, I'm not quite sure uh, about that. But it is interesting uh, for for many reasons, but specifically the SEC, where it all kind of comes together and how how they are viewing this, um, I find interesting because I don't know if it's a positive or a negative um, yeah. for them. But I think the more knowledge that is out there um, will be beneficial no matter what. So, uh, yeah, I mean, how informa- is the SEC viewing mean, information is power,
0: I think. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, how is the SEC viewing it? I think given that they've started some of these activities, it could probably kind of be been a surprise to them. In, in a statement, yeah. Kraken's general <laughs> counsel, Mary Beth Buchanan said, it's our hope that the SEC views this as a positive step. Um, I mean, my suspicion on this is uh, I don't know that uh, it's always helpful to do a one-to-five scale to do somebody's job for them. Like, I could see this as also being seen the opposite way. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to to say without being behind the scenes there how, how this has been seen, especially given... Maybe less so for uh, Coinbase and Poloniex, but Bittrex and especially Kraken have been quite outspoken that securities regulators have been inflexible. Um, yeah. And so, you know, is this is this the um, the best optics and how will it be received?
1: Yeah, I think um, since all these crypto assets are so new, they don't really fit like cleanly into traditional definitions of like what is That's a security That's a really good point, that. right. So I think it at least pushes... The conversation, even if the SEC may be a little PO'd by it, right. um, and I know that they are doing some some work. There have been several, re- like, recent headlines um, about them kind of getting involved in all of this. But, again, information is power. I think it's only good that uh, we're having these conversations.
0: Yeah, and, and Marco Santori and, and all of the crypto Twitter lawyers had, had uh, hot takes on this stuff. And I think um, generally it the, the view that something can start looking like a security and end looking quite different is generally accepted. And that's completely contrasting to where we were two, three years ago. Like that wasn't normal two, three years ago. Now yeah. it's kind of normal and generally accepted.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, obviously – some of these cryptocurrencies, crypto assets want to be closer to the one uh. <laughs> side of the scale <laughs> because then there's less regulation and all of that, but... Uh But yeah, it's interesting kind of putting it out there, seeing where the chips fall.
0: Let's see where they fall. Um, So I'm sure this one's going to run and run. Um, We shall definitely stay close to it. The next story is from Business Insider, and it's Blockchain in Banking, an inside look at four banks' early blockchain successes and failures. Uh, The article outlined the blockchain in banking uh, from Business Insider Intelligence. Uh, Banks analyzed included JP Morgan, HSBC, Citi, and Bank of America. And of course, you probably hear this a lot, but uh, (laughs) questions have come up about the tech's uh, efficacy. How effective is it as financial institutions struggle to actualize blockchain solutions? Interesting that they use the word actualize. I always think about that as being something in Maslow's hierarchy. But anyway, um, among key challenges holding back the blockchain adoption are scalability, performance, trust, and regulatory uncertainty. Does this sound surprising?
1: Uh, not surprising at all, and I'm almost—I'm getting to the point—I'm not sick of it yet, <laughs> but I'm getting to the point where this is just classic. It's new technology. Like, a lot of uh, a lot of these banks are kind of getting involved. They're dusty old banks. I don't want to get in trouble. I work at R3, so <laughs> probably shouldn't be calling them dusty old banks. But uh, they're kind of—it's so— Typical of new technology to have to – you have to lay the groundwork and then be able to fully utilize it. So um, we hear this all the time, and I know that there's obviously hype and there's the hype cycle. Um, People are trying to tokenize everything. But um, I don't know. I think that we need – we're seeing some great use cases here, um, but it's still new technology.
0: Uh, There's a great saying I once heard, which is banks move in seven-year increments – Uh, And if you start the clock at sort of uh, September 2015, Mm -hmm. uh, then we're about four years into a seven-year increment. Uh, And and this would mean that we're really starting to come to the phase like suddenly in three years, it'll be normal.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: and as I speak to folks in cap markets, structured products divisions are trying to get exposure to crypto on behalf of their clients and Mm -hmm. building custom allocations. We're seeing that uh, a lot of the trade finance networks from IBM and Walmart and Maersk and others. You know, they've got uh, 19 out of the top 20 shipping companies now using blockchains for things behind yeah. the scenes. And 90% of that technology is built without a blockchain. They're yeah. just using some additional assurance with cryptography. And I think this um, there was a report by um, Cambridge University, uh, I think it was Cambridge, uh, Judge Business School, that sort of coined this phrase, blockchain is an excuse, um, mm-hmm. and sort of blockchain is a meme, this idea that it, it covers so many different technologies that you always get the nerds arguing, that's not a blockchain.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: you probably met that guy, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Sounds familiar. Uh,
0: and so then you, it kind of loses all meaning because if it's, if it's forced you to look at novel cryptography and ways of solving a market problem, then does it matter?
1: Yeah, I mean, you just reminded me uh, of—and I tweeted this, actually, but— Check your (laughs) tweet all by yourself. (laughs) look at me go. Um, But I was at a a pub after work the other day with my coworker, and these— Three drunk men come in trying to talk to us about, like, what we do, and, and I said I worked at a, a blockchain company, and I might as well have said I've killed your mother because uh-huh. this guy went nuts, and he was talking about how uh, blockchain is a farce and you need, like, everything – blockchain, everyone thinks you can use it for everything, and I totally get that that is a general a, – General thought that people have that doesn't that, that seem
0: very two years ago to you, though? That, like,
1: yes, and that's what I was trying to convey to this drunk man, which you never should do that. Just <laughs> don't try and convince drunk, drunk people that, that that's um, so two years ago. Yeah, totally. And I'm trying to like prove the fact that uh, what we're doing is so valuable and important. And I'm like bringing up all these use cases, talking about tra- trade finance. I started talking about Marco Polo, which was in this. Uh, was mentioned in this article. But um, so I'm talking about Marco Polo, the recent announcement uh, with LBBW and Daimler and Durr. Um, I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce it because it's German and I've tried and failed to uh, uh, pronounce German words. But there's been recent news about the transact, like a pilot transaction using Marco Polo and trade finance. Like this is these real things, they're yeah. palpable and they're happening now, so.
0: But I also look at uh, HQLAX and uh, what Navora are doing with yeah. LSEG and what Finastra are doing with syndicated loans. Like, mm-hmm. if you're in financial markets, these have just started to look like a project that's landed on your desk. It's, It's normal that there's a blockchain project that's going towards pilot then production. Yeah. And everybody's just kind of still stuck two years ago. And and it feels to me like um, as this subject is getting really, really boring for the hype folks, Mm -hmm. then what we're missing is yeah, sure. But now's your time as you're thinking about what you're doing or as as you're trying to lock down what your priorities are for, for 2020. Your competitors are doing this stuff. So why aren't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think also um, one of my favorite things that Richard Gundl Brown says um, is that he's hoping we get to a point where um, we're not really talking about blockchain anymore, which is a funny thing at first. You'd be like, hmm, that's interesting. But you're running these apps and you're using these systems that are using blockchain technology, but you don't even know that they are. And I think once we get to that point, we've made it.
0: I think uh, we've always made it and we've made it to (laughs) uh, the ad read.
1: Oh, I love this ad. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing on the 23rd, 24th of October? Oh, there's this little thing in London called Corticon, so I will be there.
0: You'll be at Corticon, which is apparently one of the top blockchain events in the world hosted by R3. You heard of those?
1: Uh, Yeah, you said it, not me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I, this is what the words on my script say, so. Um,
1: <laughs> so I probably did say it at some point, point. now you're
0: reading it. <laughs> uh, Kodacon is just once a year, brings together more than 800 leaders, technologists, and developers. Uh, you do use case presentations, tech talks, panels, and more. And you got Dev Day, and you got Biz Day. Um, how did you name those?
1: Something for everything. I think, actually, my boss, Sarah Hill, um, named it. She just kind of came up with it. Marketing, man.
0: Market is going to market. <laughs> Uh, registration's free. You can sign up now. Space is limited. Head over to r3.com forward slash quartercon for more info. Shout out to Todd McDonald, friend of the show. <laughs> I've got to do it every episode. You have to. Uh, story comes from Coindesk. This is about the U.S. House uh, Committee pressuring Mark Zuckerberg to testify on Libra.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: Cheryl Sandberg, COO of Facebook, was invited as well to testify before the U.S. House of Representatives Financial Services Committee on the 29th of October concerning the new payment network. The body will not finalize the hearing, however, until Zuckerberg also agrees to testify. Like, this is get in front of us. Uh, David Marcus isn't enough. We want Sandberg. We want Zuckerberg.
1: Seriously.
0: Um this is, this is not going away. The, there is scrutiny uh, coming from the US is significant. And uh, the, we saw just a couple of weeks ago, both Germany and France agreed to do everything within their power to block Libra. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting that the US is able to pressure Facebook in a way that the Europeans haven't done so so far. Uh, mm-hmm. And nearly every regulator is still kind of really, really trying to get close to this. Uh, how, how do you read Libra from your vantage point?
1: I find it very. I'm trying not to use the word interesting, but it is. It is interesting how it's had this effect on people. I feel like it's really inciting fear <laughs> for some people, like specifically uh, the U.S. government for sure. And and we're trying to block Libra left and right, um, but it at least it's started the conversation. So. Last week when you were on um, Life in the Fast Chain, our podcast, and you were talking about um, how at least they're, like, getting people to really um, get involved in the conversation. It's yeah. like throwing cold water on someone sleeping. Like, finally, people are talking about it in a real sense instead of just like, oh, yeah, well, cryptocurrencies, I don't know. They're never really going to, like, take over and uh, we'll be fine. Now people are actually feel getting a little nervous.
0: I, th- I think that started to happen is like Facebook becomes that watershed moment and and the icebreaker that paves the way for everybody else to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I wonder if it 's going to be them that makes it or somebody else so I, I put together a, a keynote speech for a couple of weeks' time, just specifically on libra uh, and and you know my thing is like most people don 't understand what it is mm-hmm. um, they 're struggling to separate calibra um, and what Facebook is from the association and I think the fact that the association didn't yet exist and there was no throat to choke at this association is really, really interesting. David Marcus, in a recent tweet storm said. He's looking forward to when the Libra Association is stood up, so Libra can speak for itself, rather mm. than Facebook speak for Libra, um, which which is an interesting challenge. Um, and then you know, there's there's kind of a bunch of other players in that market. Uh, we also saw, of course, PayPal officially dropped out of the Libra project. So. They remain supportive of Libra's aspirations and look forward to continued dialogue on ways to work together in the future. Facebook has long uh, has been a longstanding and valued strategic partner to PayPal, and we will continue to partner with and support Facebook in various capacities. You know they were one of the first names, and but they they do have a banking license, so they're in an interesting yeah. spot. Um, Another payments giants, Visa, Mastercard, and Stripe are also rumored to be hesitant to sign on the Libra project. Again, anybody regulated or close to being regulated seems to be the ones that are really um, kind of concerned at this point.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting for a few reasons. But it kind of, with PayPal leaving, um, kind of makes you wonder, like, what's the straw that broke the camel's back here? Like, what is the thing that really pushed them out the door? And... um, is it going to be the snowball effect now? Are others going to kind of pull away or not um, get involved when they would have before? It's got to be a little disheartening when you—maybe people are very excited about um, Libra and all the announcements and everything, and then you see headlines of, like, controversial Libra projects, this and that. I'm, of course, talking on a marketing perspective, but— it's, a, it's interesting. I would, I would be curious to see what happens in the next few weeks with other companies. And I
0: wonder how much commitment there really was uh, yeah. in the first place. Was this just poking their head in to see what the competitors were up to? Or yeah. was it, no, we believe in the Libra mission? Uh, and and of those people that were announced at the beginning how many will really convert Um, I would not doubt uh, an organization of Facebook's scale and capacity to build it like every time I speak to um, my techie friends who talk about like the Libra code base they're like that's really good. They're doing some really interesting things. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that side of it, they seem to be fixing it. They seem to be responding to a lot of the concerns around the reserve and how that would work. They seem very responsive there. Uh, And then when it comes to kind of the partner side and the Calibra wallet side, there's probably still some questions to answer. But look at the ground they've covered in three or four months. Like, would you bet against these guys?
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, Also, I mean, everyone's talking about it. So even if you were involved before, you weren't involved in cryptocurrencies and everything, everyone knows what Libra is now. Um, Do they, though? Well, no, not Everybody, fully, but everyone's heard of it, and you are actually finally, like, getting into the weeds. So, again, with, like, talking about regulators, it's kind of like a, a moment where you're, you have to get involved or you're going to fall behind, and maybe uh, it, it is a concern that a private company could kind of take over.
0: It's a no-shit moment, and I think this is why the Franco-German um, uh, kind of regulators and, and government said, you can't have a private company controlling um, currency. That just yeah. didn't seem right to them. I'll, or even a network of private companies controlling that—that's that's a real concern. Hence, why yeah. they think the regulators are pulling people up and and kind of uh, wanting more information about what's going on. It's going to be interesting to watch this one develop. So, how do you how do you place this um, versus some of the other stable coins in the market, for instance? Where do you think this fits in the in the spectrum of the types of uh, stable coin that are out there?
1: I mean, to be a fair uh i'm pretty sure that david nickel from r3 would kill me if i tried to speak on this (laughs) but maybe maybe it would be better uh to get your take and i can i can respond from david nickel's perspective later
0: (laughs) so um well i think there's um there's always so there's Three things. There's mm-hmm. the stablecoin. Uh, people often sort of separate into three buckets. There's pegged stablecoins, one-to-one backed. Tether's the obvious example. For yeah. every tether, tether there is in theory a, a, a U.S. dollar. Uh, J.P. Morgan. For every dollar on J.P. Morgan coin, there is a dollar held on reserve at, at J.P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. So that's really easy. Um, then you've got the reserve way of doing it, which is um, there is a basket of currencies or assets. Uh, the obvious one there is MakerDAO. Um, they have a reserve of ETH and then they uh, issue uh, additional tokens around that and you kind of have the whole, the whole governance that comes around uh, the DAO and the DAI. Uh, And then there's algorithmically based, which you see less of, but basis token was was one of those. Like it was going to be an algorithm that was going to run how all of that came together versus a reserve. Now, Libra starts out looking a lot like a reserve. Um, in in how they position it. But then David Marcus in a tweet storm, I think on September the 16th, uh, said Libra is designed to be a better payment network and system running on top of existing currencies. Um, Libra will be backed one-to-one by strong currencies. This means for any unit of Libra to exist, there must be equivalent value in its reserve. As such, there's no new money creation, which will strictly remain the province of sovereign nations. So there's some key points there that I think they've moved away from this basket of assets and a, and a pure reserve mm-hmm. to kind of more one-to-one pegging against underlying currencies. There's still questions about how that will work though.
1: Yeah, I'm so happy I did not attempt to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Um, (laughs) Let's move to the next story. A story comes from Coindesk. Uh, U.S. lawmakers asked the Fed to consider developing a national digital currency. Um, This is a letter from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell um, and uh, Representative French Hill, Representative Bill Foster They outline concerns they have about risks to the U.S. dollar if another country or private company creates widely used cryptocurrency and ask whether the central bank is looking into creating its own version. Uh, The letter details how the Fed might create and manage its uh, U.S. currency policy, and the letter asks a number of questions, including whether the Fed is looking to do its own digital currency, whether there are any contingency plans, if digital fiat currencies gain traction, what legal regulatory security issues, blah, blah um <laughs> interesting this is this is a consistent pattern right you see policymakers asking questions of regulators and everybody's starved for information here um nobody knows how this stuff works and uh, you know they just need to uh, kind of be furnished with this info. I think there's a lot of fear out there.
1: Yeah, I think the concerns are 100% justified. Um, I mean, this is, again, another benefit to the Libra project in general. Like, how many times can we scream at regulators, this is important, uh, what we're doing is important, and not to give Facebook all the credit in the world, but they are a very powerful force, um, and their involvement in this space would be extremely intimidating. Um And like I said before, having the potential to have a private company developing digital currencies um, could be a risk. Or if you're in this scenario, it could be, i dare I say, detrimental. But, like, if you actually think about uh, the U.S. dollar and other currencies around the world, it would be very intimidating. So um, I'm not surprised that these congressmen are kind of pushing for it. Um, And also, even at the end of the article— they're kind it's kind of ominous uh, it says with the potential for digital digital currencies to further take on the characteristics and utility of a paper money it may become increasingly imperative that the federal reserve take up the project of developing the US dollar digital currency so mm-hmm. It's kind of ominous.
0: Let's see. Uh, <laughs> there's a blink story here from the block. German finance minister Olaf Scholz wants to introduce the digital euro. Um, he was quoted as saying, such a payment system would be uh, f- uh, good for the financial center of Europe and its integration to the world financial system. We should not leave the field to China, Russia, or any private providers.
1: Ooh, there's a, direct the, hit.
0: The, the, there's a foot race here <laughs> going went. on. Um, the PBOC are talking about doing a currency that's got everybody worried. Um, mm-hmm. And if it looks and feels like a cryptocurrency coming from China, ooh, scary. But if you're China, <laughs> it looks scary that Libra's doing it. If you're Libra, you're just trying to solve a problem for uh, the the unfinancially included and, and have a new business model. It's like everybody's scared of everybody. This is nuts. <laughs> Uh, Last month, he said uh, a core element of digital – element of state sovereignty, sorry, is issuing of a currency. We will not leave this to private companies. This seems to be a thing that no matter how much David Marcus says, yeah, we're not trying to issue a currency. No one's listening. Yeah. Well, but also de facto, if you have a basket of um, other currencies that are backing yours and people are using that as money, you still have a currency. Because until 1971, the dollar was sort of a way of thinking about gold. Um, Yeah. So – a currency isn't uh, just not a currency. If you just say, "Oh well, it's backed against other ones," we're not going to issue any of them. It's like, no, no, you have made these Libra tokens, and people are using them, and it's acting as if it were a currency. Yeah. So I think there's a there's a there's a mindset shift there of recognizing the systemic importance and the role you play. Um, you might think that you're doing something that fits within the regulation, but the consequences of what you do might be something different from an economic standpoint. So it's consistently watching technologists grapple with economics and vice versa.
1: Yeah, it's a fun fun fight to watch. Um, I was reading something earlier that uh, last November, the uh, International Monetary Fund um, published a staff uh, discussion note on CBDCs. And uh, basically at the time, um, there were 15 of them, basically places – kind of looking into it. um, And now, I mean, this was a blog post, but there are at least 45 um, that are looking into it. um, Obviously, right now, it's just it's something you got to look into. Because if you're not, again, you can kind of fall behind and then suddenly, boom, you're not as important anymore.
0: I think if somebody's got 2 billion users or there's a country with a billion people and that uh, the tech giants in that country are all using a, a digital currency and that digital currency, those tech giants are moving outside of their borders. You can see how uh, states like, as folks like um, that look after the euro and look after the dollar where you have the dollarization of the world effectively um, and you have a, a level of control on uh, financial crime risk as a result and indeed... Um, and management of uh, sort of uh, real security threats. That's yeah. one of the ways you do it by controlling the dollar you uh, and the OFAC list and how SWIFT works. You're able to really manage um, money laundering, but also state um, potential uh, activities and you can enforce them with sanctions. Yeah. If you have an entirely different monetary system, potentially you could issue sanctions and um, that another payment system just isn't subject to, which is really, really concerning because now the, way, the real way the world gets policed is broken. And so that's a, I think that's a, a worry that people have to tackle head on. Totally. All right. Stories we didn't have time to cover. A story from Medium um, author, uh, How to Kill Bitcoin. Uh, Pretty interesting uh, from Gigi there, I think it is. Uh, Story from Coindesk, uh, from Cardano to Ethereum, 2020 could be a deciding year for proof of stake. And that is going to be one to drill into in a future episode because, yes, there's some big flips coming. Um, Being crypto, Hong Kong ATMs run out of money as Bitcoin trading volume balloons. Uh, Obviously, with the unrest going on in Hong Kong, suddenly having the... uh, Digital cash equivalent that nobody can take off you is pretty, pretty handy. And story from The Economist. Betting on Bitcoin prices may soon be deemed illegal gambling in some parts of the world. Um, So this is, um, I think the FCA has come out and said that crypto derivatives are not something that they want uh, consumers to have access to. I think the view from the industry is consumers shouldn't have access to derivatives full stop these are complex financial instruments and people can lose a lot of money uh, but in the united kingdom it's quite normal that consumers have access to contracts for difference for instance so this is you know uh, there's a push for consistency here and there's mm-hmm. there's probably something around uh, is new policy required or is uh, is there something in uh, existing uh, legislation that gives us what we need all righty this week's twitter of the week comes from the one and only stephen Pelly.
2: Tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week.
0: Stephen Pearlie talks about... uh, well, I I, I really need him to record this. I can't do his voice justice. We've had him (laughs) on the podcast before. I need to drop F-bombs halfway through it. Uh, He says, the only, quote-unquote, precedent that the EOS settlement sets is that you might get a better deal if you don't kick the SEC in the shins. Start a f- settlement fund online and say, sue me. If you think this is a sign that ICOs are greenlit in the US, you are wrong. There's, this is one of a long list of settlements we're going to see. Note that this settlements don't necessarily bind other agencies or other instruments of government, though a good lawyer will try and wrap them. I seriously doubt there will be any direct criminal enforcement activity in the EOS case for other agencies later, maybe, however. Interesting summary here from Stephen Pelley. Um I guess this isn't over. We're still going to see ICO fallout? Mm-hmm. All Um Raise $4 billion, get fined $24 million, not a bad deal.
1: <laughs> it's not...
0: Uh, before you go, I just want to let you know I had an excellent chat with the one and only Jason Kelly, who's General Manager of Blockchain Services at IBM when we were back at Cybos, talking about some of those use cases and the real scale they're at. So um, I think you'll enjoy this one. Welcome to Blockchain Insider Interviews, coming to you from Cyboss 2019 in London. I'm Simon Taylor, and it is my good pleasure to be joined by Jason Kelly, who's General Manager of Blockchain Services at IBM. How are you doing, Jason? I am doing well. Thanks thank for having me. You. Oh no, thank you for being on our, our blockchain insider podcast. Listen, we were talking just before we started recording about you know, some of the challenges with blockchain and DLT. You know, I think Gartner put it at the bottom of the hype cycle recently. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just a lot of sort of fatigue about blockchain press releases and and, and whatever else. And um, where do you see this stuff? starting to get real. Is it getting real or is it all hype? I guess as general manager of blockchain, you probably, there's got to be something
2: out there that's... uh, Well, you'd have to, you're right. I do believe there is a lot of hype. Um, And I think that hype is finally starting to die down to some extent. And people are asking, what's real? And there are plenty of clients who are now going past the, the thought of, of hype hype was back when it was blockchain tourism and people were doing uh, the proof of concepts, the POCs uh, proof of values POVs and as one of the CIOs that uh, we work with she said, you know we did all that and we ended up doing a POI and I, I said I'm sorry I, I haven't, haven't heard that one before and she said POI yeah she says that's a proof of incompetence <laughs> and I said oh so, so tell me more and in fact they spent a lot of time, she and, and their respective company spent a lot of time trying to figure out you know, if it was real, how it was real, instead of what's the outcome that it's going to drive. Is it even needed? Is, why, why blockchain? And this is where I think people have now progressed instead of just tinkering around doing something off to the side. It's what, what business outcome will it drive? and that's what we're seeing here now. Do you think it's getting more core to business strategies
0: as well? Absolutely. Because I was with the guys from Six earlier and mm-hmm. what they're doing with SDX, and they were sort of saying that the, the sort of the, the prototypes they're starting to build are actually the north star for the entire strategy of them as an organization, which is, which is pretty big, right? And,
2: and do you see that elsewhere? Are you seeing Yeah, them- when, you, when, you, when we see uh, clients that are now going from a, and, and let's, let's put it in real terms, how much are they spending? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what, that's, that's what a proof of concept. So, well, well we've got some innovation budget that we're going to throw 150K at. We have clients now that are spending tens of millions of dollars on just the blockchain portion. Now, no one puts tens of millions of dollars to a, a project. And you said, I'm, you said project, right? Yeah. Or a prototype. No one says, Here's tens of millions, give me a prototype. By the time you're in the tens of millions, it's at least a program, if not a business unit. Right, so you have, you have organizations that within, even if it's a single entity, and this is what a, what a lot of people are now realizing, that a single entity, if it's a global entity, it in and of itself is a network. And we can get into this thought of a network, because, oh, we have to have a full ecosystem, some global entities enterprises are an ecosystem within themselves but quickly what we're seeing is they find out that wait now that I've taken this this thing that's helping me in my front office and back office wait I tie into an ecosystem and it's going to work if they're in this too and so now we see you know these everyone's making announcements you know another announcement another consortium a consortia galore well now they're legitimate because these consortia has, have come together not just in single industries but in multiple industries where you have a financial services player, a, a perceived regulator, and we can hit that. Too, as SDX had some great comments. I listened to them earlier on, you know, what is a regulator really? Mm-hmm. And, and then a consumer player, because ultimately all of this ends with you and I. Mm-hmm. What's it doing for us? You know, what's, it, what, what's, what's blockchain going to bring to us for value? So we're seeing a lot of these things moving faster.
0: I find it really interesting that JD.com uh, put out a press release maybe four or five months ago sort of saying that since they put chickens on a blockchain, which was my favorite headline of of recent months, (laughs) that they've actually seen an increase in sales of chicken because people were really genuinely concerned about that in the supply chain. And the macro trend that I, I keep coming back to is that ethical is the new luxury. Consumers now demand to know what's happening in the supply chain, and they want confidence that uh, the product they're buying is sustainable, and the product they're buying is uh, something that is, is really not harming the planet any more than it needs to, or even harming the planet at all, and you know, is, is responsibly sourced. And this is something mm-hmm. that we're, we're seeing increasingly sort of coming through. Uh, the partnerships you guys have done with the likes of Walmart and Musk and others. Can you talk to me about some of those and, and how what scale of those sorts of things now really at? So you think
2: it, this thought of it being a way to do business, this thought of what's ethical, what's sustainable. Mm-hmm. I'll first hit on that because it's a key point. 72% of of millennials will buy based on the origin, based on knowing that what they're buying gives them confidence back to this consumers at the end. Uh-huh. Before the you know, source, you know, all those different from farm to fork, we'll use your Walmart example, there's all these things to, ultimately it's the consumer. And as consumers, we buy because of either a high value, a reputation, quality, ultimately it's the experience. Uh-huh. So of course we want to know where that, I like the chickens on, on the, you know, don't be chicken, right? But maybe you want to be a chicken if you know where it's from. You take a, a Walmart, and why is Walmart it, world's largest retailer as well as the world's largest, largest grocer? And guess what? If we're in an audience of 10 people to 10,000, I ask a question. How many people eat? And they all raise their hand. Because of course, we do. And so that food, that thought of something that's tangible, means something to us. But it goes into what we wear. And anything that you wear, what, what you're wearing now, quite stylish. Um, I'm, a little jealous there, loving the uh, the vans. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it 90% of what you have on went through a shipping lane? And if you can now have trust and transparency in that shipping lane, and from that shipping lane into the retailer, and ultimately into your hand, would you say no? I don't think so. I think you'd say yes. And I think
0: if it made gave me confidence in that, but also if it could. Uh if it could sort of prevent some genuinely horrific things from happening around modern slavery, around uh, human trafficking, around all of those sorts of real problems, then we just need to know what's happening in, in our supply chains and getting uh, data that I have confidence in and that multiple parties agree to is actually a really hard business problem as much as it's a technology problem. So so what, where have you seen some of the business conversation evolve because you know, the, the tech alone is not going to solve this.
2: No, and and it tech is in fact, as we've seen, 10% of the challenge, it's the business model that, that has to change. You think of one of the consortia that we work with, individual consortium is responsible sourcing blockchain network and RSBN is now working across an entire supply chain that goes back into the shipping and says, look, let's understand where cobalt comes from. And we all know cobalt goes into batteries and batteries now, you know, it, was, it used to be uh, it took 20 years for the first electric vehicle, and then you know, uh, 20 months after that, we're, we got a million of them, right? So <clears throat> what we have now is this, this ability to say, is that cobalt responsibly sourced? And think about this. You could responsibly source some of it, and then others, it's irresponsibly sourced. Could be mixed up with it. Uh, you got it. But if we could understand and delineate the two based on a visibility of data that's in the blockchain and be able to understand where that's coming from, why wouldn't we do it? So, to the cynic that says, I could do that without a blockchain, what do you say? I say that's true. And I would say that true to the extent that if if it could be done now, it would already have been done. It wouldn't still be a challenge. We wouldn't be having the con- the, the conversation that we're having now about responsible sourcing. So. Evidently, it's not being done well enough. Mm-hmm. So why blockchain? This goes back to one of our early, why? Well, when you think about this, this source to consumption, there's many players in that. Those players have sometimes even their own regulatory bodies that are regula- regulating them in their own, their own entity. So the mine has a regulatory uh, entity. The manufacturer is being regulated. The automotive industry is being regulated. Within each one of those networks, there's multiple silos of data. Currently, there's nothing that exists that allows each one of those networks to first see across their silos and then see across the silos of silos. Think of a network of networks. Mm-hmm. That's what we now have the it's ability like the to do. the <laughs> internet. Internet, so I'm glad you bring that up. Internet took 30 years to become business ready, mm-hmm. 1995 approximately. It's taken a third of that time, less than a third of that time, eight years for blockchain to become business ready. And do you think it is business ready? Do you think that uh, you know I can pick this up and use some of the tooling, uh, or is there still like some kinks to be ironed out? So well, we're sitting here in, at, at Cybo, so you can go go down and talk to the the, the players at WeTrade, uh, twelve of the largest banks in Europe that are currently using it with live transactions in production. In in production of real transactions working at the beginning of this year. Uh, you can go to some of the players uh, that are are doing great things, ANZ, uh, National Australia Bank, Bank Guarantees, they have a, a, a production network working. So yes, it's ready and, and yes, it's being used. I think there's something powerful about being in production and uh, when we
0: see production and volume, so it's almost like it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, oh wait, it already happened. And we're in that transition point, but it feels like it's not getting the ballyhoo, and then in two, three years, it will just be normal, and it was always kind of there all along.
2: That's, And I'd say that would be the objective, is this, uh, this thought of blockchain as a buzzword, you know, it, it, it needs to go away. Mm-hmm. It, it, It is, yes, it's a distributed ledger, and then some, and ultimately, it will just be a given. I mean, how many booths do we see around Cybo saying, uh, internet banking, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So it, it's just there, and so... When we're successful, and to, to your example, when, when it gets that point, it will just be an assumption that if you want trusted, secure permission, access to data, and when you get to that data, you know it's right, when that just becomes commonplace, it will be blockchain, and that's just how it will be done. Sounds uh, like an interesting
0: future. Listen, um, if you're looking in your crystal ball for the next 18 months, or the next, by the time we get to the next cyborgs, do you think materially things are going to start to change? And how do you think the conversation
2: is going to evolve? I think the, the conversation will evolve from a, what are we doing with blockchain and DLT and financial services? And what are instead of just looking at the industry is how are we tying that into other industries? Mm. How are we tying, uh, for example, some of the things that we're doing and I'll use an example, a real example, so that's what I like, we, we like being real. In, in North America, the US uh, Food and Drug Administration is working with with Merck from a pharma, pharma perspective, along with Walmart from a retail perspective, along with KPMG from uh, an audit advisory perspective, along with IBM that's leading all of that to say, look, how do we add more trust and transparency in the drug and drugs creation supply value chain so there you have multiple industries working together on one network a true network of networks and that's where it's that's where it's going to go that's where it has to go if we're going to realize the true value of what we've just described here do we have to move away from um, like the permissioned
0: versus permissionless debate do we do we do you see a future in which that debate becomes moot and permissionless becomes a thing
2: I, I think that it is a, a symptom of immaturity when we start to have some of those conversations because it stalls the outcome. Back to what? You, what is the outcome? Mm-hmm. Sometimes permission, sometimes permissionless, if you will, depending upon what the outcome's going mm-hmm. to be. No different than what flavor of the platform are you going to mm-hmm. use and trying to assign certain providers. You know, I sit here with IBM and people want to put IBM's. They want to put IBM's name next to a given platform. They'll say IBM, Hyperledger. Well, yeah, we started with Hyperledger because we had to pick a horse and ride it and come up with real content, uh-huh. real solutions. Now we work across multiple platforms. No, no, why not work with Corda? Why not work with 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 Ethereum? Why not we, we do those things. Uh-huh. So it's it's the, the, the sign of an immaturity when people go straight into the weeds and start talking different flavors, different types, and those details, start with the outcome, and then you'll get the results. It, it, one, a wise
0: man, uh, uh, Gavin Littlejohn, once said to me that his favorite way of, of kind of dealing with that challenge of people who get lost in different platforms versus each other is said, um, if you ask the question, what's the right answer, a fork or a spoon, you can get into real semantic debates about which one is the better multipurpose tool. If I put a salad in front of you, which one do you pick up? And he said, then he said, if I put a, a soup in front of you, which one do you pick up? The tool you use is the one that's right for the job.
2: I, I, I like that. And it definitely goes with my analogy of blockchain being a bright shiny thing. And it's, it's not just a sandwich looking for a picnic. You got to find the real outcome. So I like your food. Your, your, now you're your, making your me food. hungry and we're going to get out of here. And it's about that time.
0: So where do people find out more about what you're up to at IBM? IBM.com
2: slash blockchain
0: beautiful thank you so much for joining us jason um you find me at sy taylor on twitter and thank you everybody for listening remember if you like what you've heard please please subscribe to our podcast reviewers on itunes we love reading those reviews um and if you have any suggestions or feedback do reach out to us podcasts at 11fs.com thank you very much goodbye for now thanks thank you so much jason and thank you so much one only, Catherine Rutter. Um, Just to remind you listeners, that wraps up another week's show. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by 11FS, and we're a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services. Where can people find out more about you, Catherine?
1: Me personally, you can um, follow my Twitter at Bread and Rutter. Uh, Be warned that half of it is work related and half is life related, where I'm just Crying, basically making myself laugh, and mm-hmm. hopefully others do as well. Um, I also am the host of our podcast at R3, Life in the Fast Chain. Last episode, Simon was on, um, so listen to that. Um, and, yeah, I work at R3. You can find me on LinkedIn, r3.com, quarter.net, Check them out. Go to CordaCon.
0: All of the above
1: <laughs> all, all of the above, I can talk forever But thank you for having me It's yeah. nice to be in a real studio for a change so.
0: yeah. Like I said, it's the second episode ever in a real studio So you know, we're, we're living the dream I'm honored uh, You can find me at sytaylor on Twitter Or email me directly, simon11fs.com Of course, a big thank you to our amazing production team here Who are making more eye contact than they were at the beginning of the episode So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy with that
1: Actually, pet's asleep, what's going on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it was going on there Laura who's not in the room but Petret, uh Hannah and Alex thank you very much uh, and thank you for listening we'll have more Blockchain Insider next week goodbye for now thank you